In today's episode of the LNL Podcast, Brandon and I have the chance to sit down with J. Ryan Davidson. We talk about the ordinary means of grace. What exactly is this vision of spirituality? How does it differ from contemporary spirituality? And much more. We even talk about the sacraments, what those are, and how they fit into the ordinary means of grace. We know you're going to benefit from this episode. Well, I'd like to welcome all of our listeners to another exciting and glorious episode of the London Lyceum, where we hope to encourage you to think deeply and clearly about your faith, about your life, uh, and about a whole host of other issues. Today, I'm honored to introduce you to one of our guests, uh, Ryan um, Davidson, and he's a he's a pastor uh, near us in, I think it's Hampton, Virginia. Uh, so what, before I kind of spoil all the, the fun for his little introduction, um, Ryan, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, before you tell us about yourself, I should probably say that I forgot to mention who I am. I'm Jordan <laughs> Stefaniak, and I'm next to Brandon Askew. Um, and now, Ryan, I'll turn it over to you. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Why don't you introduce us for those who may not know who you are? Um, what should they know about you? Sure. Well, guys, thanks for having me on. Uh, I appreciate it. It's an honor to be with you. Um, uh, my name is Ryan Davidson, and uh, I'm married to my lovely bride of 14 years, Christy, and we have four children. And um, for the last 11 years, I've been pastoring a uh, Reformed Baptist church in the Hampton Roads, Virginia area uh, called Grace Baptist Chapel. And uh, it's been just sweet to see this congregation grow through the years and also grow in kind of its adoption of the, the, the London Baptist Confession of Faith and, um, and uh, its maturing in theology. And so, um, you know, those, those are some at least initial things uh, regarding me. Um, hobbies, uh, yeah, you probably get this a lot. I, I do like to read. Um, <laughs> uh, I like uh, coaching kids my kids in sports uh i like a little red Sox baseball particularly last year this year not so much um and um spending time with with people so those are some things about me cool so um i follow you on twitter so and and from from interacting on there i know that you're um you're in a phd program right now so why don't you tell us a little bit about where you're studying and what you're studying sure absolutely um so i am Lord willing, uh, very soon going to be finished with um, my PhD uh, through the Free University of Amsterdam in Europe. <clears throat> and basically, I get to do the research from here and I've occasionally gone over there to meet with a supervisor. My uh, subject is technically church history and or historical theology, but it's really um, seeking to answer the question of how the early uh, first and second century church, Christian movement, counseled and cared for the family. Um, how did the average pastor in the first and second century church uh, do family counseling, uh, so to speak? Um, and uh, prior to pastoring, uh, I was in counseling ministry for a while. So this just blends together two of my interests, uh, basically early church history and um, sort of pastoral care or pastoral theology. To me, that's super interesting. So I'm curious, once you're finished with your dissertation, do you have plans of publishing it? Um, well, you're not the first to ask me that. I, I, I will say yes, I guess so. I mean, right now I'm sort <laughs> of in the just do whatever it takes to get over the line and finish <laughs> it. 
phase. But I mean, I, I would love to, um, I, I, a couple weeks ago, I had to fill in um, for one of our Sunday school teachers. Um, <clears throat> I don't often teach Sunday school just because of preaching responsibilities that same day, but I was able to kind of teach uh, a little bit of some things that I've learned um, as it related to the family um, in a Sunday school class. And uh, I got a lot of positive feedback. So at some point I'd love to do something with it, but right now it's just trying to finish it. Very cool. Very cool. Well, so let me tell you before Brandon goes on, you should publish it. That sounds fascinating. <laughs> or at least well, share it with me. I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks for that encouragement. So the topic that we want to really get into is uh, confessional spirituality, the ordinary means of grace. So um, those are some words there that maybe some of our listeners are going to want to find. So let's just start with, um, let's just start with the sacraments. So tell us about what the sacraments are and, and how are the sacraments used um, in the local church? Absolutely. Um, I would, I would say that, you know, we could, we could voice this, uh, a couple of ways, but I think perhaps the clearest would be um, the idea that the sacraments, uh, of which there are two, um, baptism and the Lord's Supper, um, the sacraments are means that the Lord uses to make his covenant promises to us visible, um, and at the same time to provide for us a means of um, spiritual nourishment, if you will. Um, our, our confession says that through them, our faith can be strengthened and increased. Um, so they're, they're visible words. They're sermons that are put before our eyes. They are means which give us, yes, a physical uh, involvement in a spiritual reality. And we can perhaps parse that out a little bit more. Um, but uh, that in short is what I would say. They are not things that in and of themselves are magical. Uh, they don't, uh, we don't, there's nothing that happens in them just because the action of them is being done, but rather when a believer comes in faith to baptism uh, or to the Lord's Supper, um, there's a, essentially, if you will, a, a proclamation that, that the Lord really makes, um, and um, they're used in our lives to, to strengthen and increase our faith. Very, very helpful. Thank you for that. Um, and now Brandon mentioned this idea of means of grace, ordinary means of grace. And you mentioned when you were defining the sacraments that they're means. So why don't you walk us through a little bit? What is, what is this concept of the ordinary means of grace? Because I know you've got a book on this coming out with, I think it's Reformed Baptist Academic Press um, that I know I am excited to read and looking forward to myself. Um, yeah, so, and I've actually read your, your other um book on the Lord's Supper. Um, I think it's called a covenant feast. Is that right? Yes, sir. Yes. yes. That was, um, that was really helpful. So I'm, I'm looking forward to your, to your next book as well, but, um, sorry to interrupt Jordan. So what were you saying? The means of grace, the ordinary means of grace what, right. for a lot of our listeners, I'm sure are not familiar with that terminology. Yeah. Um, and you were explaining how baptism and the Lord's Supper are means. So walk us through for those who may not be familiar with that concept. What is that? Sure. Um, the definition that I use uh, in this new book is, uh, I, I just define the means this way. They are instruments that Christ ordinarily uses to birth and strengthen the faith of the elect as he is present among them. 
I think that's, and this is actually when you explain that, it makes me think about a conversation that I've had recently with um, some family members where we kind of got into this, this stuff. And I think that, that not in a bad way, we weren't arguing, but um, I think thinking about the ordinary means of grace for a lot of people in um, let's just say your, your typical Southern Baptist church, that that's like a paradigm shift to move into thinking about ordinary means of grace versus what I've encountered as more of a, um, a focus on experience. And, um, it's more of a, um, a subjective focus rather than a focus on what God is doing through those means of grace. So have you had any conversations with folks in your church or maybe any advice for pastors about how to really move your people, um, to a better understanding of the ordinary means um, if they're coming out of one of those contexts where that's just not been a thing? Yes. And, and actually um, I will say that I, the part of the reason I, I wrote this book is it's, it's largely, well, it can, it's for Baptists, it's for Presbyterians, it's for anybody, but it's largely for Baptists who quite frankly, like myself kind of grew up with an understanding that um, the, uh, you know, Lord's Supper and baptism, these are just things that we do because Jesus told us to do them. Uh, and they're kind of just symbolic things. And just when we understand what the scripture actually points to regarding these things, we can see that they're actually things that the Lord uh, calls us to regularly. Uh, I mean, obviously, baptism as uh, uh, an, an initial uh, once for all sign, but the Lord's Supper regularly so that our faith can be strengthened uh, and increased, uh, through them. And so, you know, it's, 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 it's a, it's a paradigm shift for a lot of people. Um, but the, the confession, um, the London confession of faith in chapter 14, paragraph one, uh, basically says that the grace of faith, whereby the elect are enabled to believe to the saving of their souls is the work of the spirit of Christ and is ordinarily wrought by the ministry of the word. But then the next sentence says this, by which also and by the administration of baptism and the Lord's Supper, prayer and other means appointed of God, it is increased and strengthened. So I guess the summary is these are actually channels or mechanisms that God has told us that he will use when we as his children come to them in faith. So when you're talking about the, these things, you're explaining these means of grace, it, it seems this obviously contrasts significantly with contemporary spirituality. You know, I, I think when I talk to an average Christian uh, of a normal Baptist church these days, if I were to ask them, what does spirituality look like? It would probably be some sort of mixture of, um, you know, I turn on my favorite worship song in the car uh, and I sing it really loud, or I have a quiet time by myself in a room where I read the Bible and I pray Bible um, meetings. Or... Yeah. Wh whatever that may look like it. It's very different from what you're describing. So mm -hmm. why is it that the ordinary means of grace would be uh, superior or, or different necessarily than, than these other things? Are these other things bad? Um, are they detracting from my spirituality and vice versa is the ordinary means of grace elevating me in my understanding and love for God? Absolutely. That's a great question, brother. I mean, I think, uh, you know, I've said this um, in a variety of places um, that I think it's clear that the Lord can use any means. 
He can use uh, reading a blog post. He can, he can use coffee with a, a good brother. He can use uh, any number of things to encourage us. It's just that the ordinary means are those things which he has uh, revealed to us in his scriptures, which Christ has ordained for us, that he says he will use. And so sometimes we hear the term ordinary and we think, oh, well, those are just ordinary. But what we mean by that is that these are the regular things that we should go to, uh, that we assume the Lord will use, and that he will at times uh, augment those things with perhaps other, I guess we could say, extraordinary means. Um, and the, the sad part is that a lot of our churches in the 21st century, well, the 20th and the 21st century, um, both are not really built uh, on the ordinary means of grace, but we almost are looking for extraordinary things while we abandon the ordinary things. And so that's the difference between sort of a contemporary spirituality of um, whether that's me, myself, and my Bible, and quiet time, those are wonderful things, but the Lord has actually told us that through regular preaching, prayer, and sacraments, He will uh, work in His people by His Spirit. And so, um, even though it's a paradigm shift for a lot of us, it's actually really getting back to what the Scriptures point to as the regular rhythm of the Christian life. Mm. Thank you. That's a really helpful explanation. So, because I know for me, at least, it was a huge paradigm shift yeah, and, a, and a huge one that uh, hugely beneficial because at least for me, which I'm sure many of our listeners might identify with is simply, you know, I grew up in a very experience driven Baptist church and there was somewhere around my senior year of high school where I was so much searching for this like almost like high yeah. drug, like high. Um, and when I didn't get it, it felt like my faith was almost destroyed, um, that I need right. that to go on. And then this, this complete shift um, to the understanding the ordinary means really revolutionized my experience of grace, mm. my experience uh, uh, of the faith, and, and it helps me. It almost grounds me. It, it's so I'm not so... Uh, prone to ups and downs. It's more of a steady grow and climb in my faith. Yeah. And right. I, I, just from my perspective, um, you know, and you kind of did touch on this, but it's almost like when everything is, and I'm not saying experience is bad. I mean, you know, experience is part of living the Christian life. I mean, we all have experiences and, and, you know, our experience is changed by what God is doing in our lives. So I don't want to minimize experience, but when everything hinges on that experience or like, you know, the quote unquote feeling of the spirit in a particular gathering or something, um, it's just kind of like what Jordan just said. You're, you're constantly looking for the next best thing. And I think that just, it opens churches up to um, the temptation to try to start doing things to do better than what we did last week. And that's how you get this, this idea of the weekend or the Sunday experience at a church, you know, um, that, that everything that we do in the church is, is somehow um, driven toward making this Sunday being cooler than last Sunday or this Sunday uh, being a, a greater experience in last Sunday, rather than just gathering as God's people and trusting 
you know, that he's, he's promised us that he is going to bless us in this way and, and, and that we can be content with the sacraments and we can be content with the, the right preaching of the word. I just don't feel like just in the conversations that I have that, that people think that way. I don't know. And I, I guess that goes back to the paradigm shift thing. You know, it's just, it's just, we're going to have to um, continue to try to be patient and teach ourselves and, and others, you know, what, what the scriptures actually teach us about the sacraments. Yeah. So about this paradigm shift, how have you seen in your own uh, ministry is best to encourage people in this paradigm shift? What are resources? What are ways that you've shepherded them toward this understanding of spirituality? Great question. I mean, for me, it started with my own shift in thinking um, and, uh, you know, just um, understanding what the scriptures had to say regarding the, the ordinary means of grace and then leading our church several years ago through a summer-long sermon series, uh, out of which actually the Means of Grace book that is about to come out is based, um, and just kind of walking through, okay, what, what, what is preaching, right? You know, and, and helping people to understand that when a minister of God who is faithfully and, and accurately preaching the Word, it, it is Christ's voice to the people. The minister is not Christ. He hasn't become Christ, but it's it's Christ's very voice to his sheep, right? The scripture says, uh, my sheep will know my voice. They'll hear my voice and they, they recognize me. You know, what is, what is prayer? It's, it is a means that the Lord gives us whereby he, he promises to hear us. Um, what is baptism? Yes, it's something we do. But, you know, for me, I grew up thinking, oh, great. Little Johnny got baptized. That means he's not going to go to hell. He's one of us. He's on our team. Um, but baptism is actually a covenant sign whereby the participant and all those that are observing the baptism that day get to bask in the covenant promise of God made visible. You know, it's a sign of the covenant of grace. And similarly, the Lord's Supper is, it is a time where we remember Jesus, but we also know Jesus's uh, presence among us spiritually and our souls are fed uh, spiritually uh, through uh, the merits of Christ and the Supper. Um, and so walking the congregation through this, I've seen our church change over these last few years to where the, the phrase means of grace just kind of becomes a regular part of our ethos, if you'll, if, if you'll let me say it that way. You know, it's, these are just the regular things that we emphasize. And, and seeing people really come to understand that when we have the Lord's Supper, that is a, that is a precious sweet time and it's more than just oh we get to think about the cross Mm -hmm. you know and so i've seen it in my own life and then i've seen it in the life of our church and how it's slowly transformed the lives of several believers so in in talking about the this transformation in your own local church there and how you you know through that sermon series you walk them through a lot of these things um specifically I'm thinking about the Lord's Supper here and and maybe this um wasn't an issue in your church or wasn't a um a battle you had to fight I guess I'd say but um a lot of churches only practice the supper maybe once a quarter maybe once every other month monthly um I don't I guess so this is a two-part question number one how often does your church um partake of the supper and number two um, if you did have to 
walk people through um, maybe changing the frequency of how often you do partake of the supper. Um, how did you, how did you walk them through that? Because I hear some of the same objections I'm sure that you and Jordan have heard, you know, well, if you do it every week, then it'll just become monotonous and it'll lose its special meaning and all this. And so how, how would you respond to that if you've heard that objection and, you know, what was this transformation like in your own church? Sure. Well, uh, we did increase the frequency. Um, you know, when I came to our church uh, 11 years ago, I asked them, you know, as part of my coming, coming on to be their pastor, how often they practice the Lord's Supper. And they said they practice it every other month. So once every two months. And I just requested, I said, could we, could we do it monthly? And we stayed in that pattern for years. And it was out of this series that we, uh, we shifted to every other week. Um, and there have been seasons where we practiced it even we, even weekly. So we may have, a, we, I remember a year or two ago, we had a month where every Sunday we, we had the Lord's Supper, but we regularly have it every other week. And I am a proponent of regular um, Lord's Supper. And I, I mean, I guess you could say if, 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 if all things um, were equal, I, I think you could make the argument that the early church practiced it every Lord's Day, um, every week. And, and so while I don't think you can, you know, it's not a hill to die on in terms of I have to have, I have to practice every week or else that's a heretical church. And, you know, it's not, it's not that kind of thing, but I do think it ought to be practiced more frequently rather than less frequently, because I think that was the implication that we get from scripture uh, of what the apostles did, you know, and if someone says to me, you know, Ryan, uh, I think that if we do it too frequently, it'll lose its special meaning. You know, I might say, well, we don't say that about prayer. We don't say that about preaching. You know, we, we assume that we uh, regularly do these things. And similarly, it seems like in, in the book of Acts, when the church came together, they came together to break bread. Uh, and, I, and I don't think that's a, I don't think that's a reference to, a, a, a <laughs> you know, a potluck dinner. Um, I think that's a reference to the Lord's Supper. And so all of those things considered, I, I would encourage someone more rather than less. But, but if someone came and said, hey, at my church, my elders, they just want to do it every three months. Should I leave my church? I'd say, no, brother. I think you need to have uh, loving and humble conversations and, and see what the thinking is. Um, and so I guess what I'm saying is it's an important issue. Um, but I don't think it's one that we have to you know, leave church over. Um, and, and, um, we should be humble with our understanding of the frequency, but I do think it's important and I, I am pro regular observance. Yeah. I, I love that. And, you know, my church currently takes it weekly and I thought this week, um, I don't know if I could go to a church again that didn't take it frequently. Uh, it's right. just, I draw so much encouragement, so much nourishment from it. I just, because I grew up in a church that did it, I think, quarterly. And yeah. I just can't imagine going back yeah. and to, our, our to that context. Is, our, our church um, only does it every three months, you know, and it's something that I've had a discussion, you know, a couple of times with the senior pastor about. And like you said, it's not a hill to die on or anything. And we're not, you know, we haven't gotten any arguments or anything about it. You know, we've it's all been, um, you know, good conversation, but um, I was just curious as to how you had, how you had gone about that conversation. So thank you for going through that. Yeah. Absolutely. 
as we've been talking, you know, about baptism, Lord's Supper, um, and we mentioned that these are sacraments, uh, some listeners may wonder, is this a road to Rome and sacramentalism? Uh, is there a different, is it okay for me to call them sacraments and not ordinances? Uh, you know, so why don't you share with us why this would not be a road to becoming a Catholic, a Roman Catholic? And this is a fine and good thing for your average everyday Baptist or non-denominational, whatever you are, uh, to believe and, and agree with. Right, right. Well, um, you know, I, I use at our church the phrase ordinance and sacrament interchangeably. Um, and the reason that I do that is because, you know, our church is used to me now using the term sacrament, but I'm aware that particularly in certain Baptist settings, um, there may be people coming from non-confessional churches, uh, non-reformed churches who, uh, th that word sacrament just makes them think we're, we're going straight to, you know, the Vatican, the, the Roman Catholic church here. Um, and you know, the, the word ordinance just simply means that which is ordained, um, and uh, a sacrament, I think it's helpful for us to understand uh, kind of the way that Augustine did in the early church as he articulated sacraments as visible words. These are not um, means that in and of themselves have, and I'll use this phrase, special magical powers, you know, uh, and they are also not a system of acts that we go to to kind of stay in the grace of God. You know, you, you could, you could look at certain Roman Catholic settings and their seven uh, sacraments. So if you take out, you have to keep going to these to stay saved and you take out, these have power in and of themselves. What you're left with is these are Christ ordained things, but they are things through which he works. Um, and, you know, if I had someone who I was really just trying to shepherd through this. And they said to me, I just don't understand what you mean. It's something that through the Lord, that the Lord works through. I'd say, well, when you listen to a sermon preached and it's biblical and it's accurate to the text, does the spirit use those uh, very words to work in your heart and mind? And usually the answer is going to be absolutely. Then I would say, well, just like that happens in the preaching moment, when you come to the Lord's table, looking to Christ and Christ alone, it is in that moment that the sermon becomes visible, and you uh, are, just like in a sermon, able to receive uh, nourishment through that means. And I think that's a helpful distinction from, say, sacramentalism um, of other traditions. I don't know if that fully answers your question, but that's at least yeah. where I'd start. No, I think that definitely answers my question. Yeah, that was that was a helpful distinction. So you mentioned Augustine, and <clears throat> earlier you talked about you know your your study for your uh, PhD. You're doing a lot of stuff in the early church. So just to stick in the early church, um, maybe tell us about what baptism and the supper looked like in the earliest centuries uh, of the church. We can go um, on the the topic of frequency, or you know um, how did these practices look um for the church what are some of the yeah did um, they have like little bitty tiny wafers and little <laughs> shot glasses or <laughs> that is actually yeah i mean was this a meal i mean i think that's stuff that people wonder about and also um you know maybe are there any theologians uh, from the early church who wrote extensively on these topics that you might can point us to um just anything related to the early church and and the um sacraments 
Sure. Well, I guess to answer firstly, let me ask, how many Presbyterians do you have listening to, to this podcast? Because uh, they might differ with you on one or two things. Maybe um, two. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> we only I have think, like eight people that listen total, so I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, then, you, you know, you've got a good number of Presbyterians there. That's good. Um, yeah. No, I, I say that jokingly. I, I think... I think uh, the issue of the Lord's Supper is one that, that wouldn't, we wouldn't really differ over uh, in terms of, uh, you know, confessional Reformed Baptists, confessional Reformed Presbyterians. Um, I, I think uh, that it's fairly clear to me that the early church um, practiced the Lord's Supper, um, communion, you know, you could, you could use the word Eucharist. We see that early. Um, uh, regularly, and I think you you would see it. We could say it was practiced weekly, um, and probably if a person wants to start outside of the scriptures, so we make a distinction between you know uh, the canon, uh, the inspired word of God, and you know extra biblical writings that are valuable but that are not authoritative in the same way. Obviously, um, the, probably the best place to start and the easiest to pick up would be uh, that little work from late first century, early second century called the Didache. Um, and, you know, it's sort of a, a guide that we find from the early church as to how to do multiple things, like recognize false teachers. Um, you know, uh, we, we, you, it's, it, I, you could argue you see the, the Ten Commandments in some sense fleshed out there a little bit, but there's also instruction on baptism, uh, prayer, and the Lord's Supper. Um, and, you know, there's some a brief paragraphs there. We even get an early example of a prayer after the Lord's Supper. Um, and so, you know, for someone who just wants to kind of read initially, who's never really dug into the early church, that's probably a great work. Um, and I'll tease my Presbyterian friends here. Baptism in the Didache, <laughs> chapter seven of the Didache, uh, is listed as being done in um, living water. Um, and if you don't have living water, uh, baptize in uh, other types of water. Uh, and living water, many would say, means running water, like a river or something like that. Uh, but uh, I don't want to make too much of that, but it's a little bit of a joke for my Pado-Baptist brothers and sisters. But yes, I think that would be a great place to start. And you see initially the place of prayer and the sacraments in early church practice. And then, of course, you could move on to kind of the Apostolic Fathers, uh, Ignatius, the first letter to Clement, um, these kinds of things. But I think the Didache is where you're going to find the most and the earliest dealings with these things. Um, okay, that's great. And before we let you go, I, you just mentioned these, you know, first, second century resources. I'm curious if you have any recommended resources besides your upcoming book for those who are interested in learning further on this. Yes, um, I think a great book uh, to read regarding the Lord's Supper is uh, Richard Barcellos's uh, work um, on the Lord's Supper, More Than a Memory. Um, I think that's a, it's a great book. I think it came out, uh, oh, four or five, six years ago. So it's, it's relatively recent. Um, that would be a great, a great work to read. Honestly, I think picking up if a person is, uh, willing to kind of dive in a little bit, you know, reading, um, you know, the sections in Calvin's Institutes, 
um, on the sacraments um, or, um, you know, uh, picking up, if, if you have time, picking up, for instance, um, Herman Bovink's his reformed reform dogmatics. I mean, this, for instance, and I quote this in the book, this is what he says regarding the means of grace. He calls them external, humanly perceptible actions and signs that Christ has given his church and with which he has linked the communication of his grace. Now, obviously, Bovink is a lot of volumes and it's really dense, but just picking up those sections can kind of be helpful if you're trying to get a kind of a grasp there. But if you're looking for um, uh, just a, a book that's not too lengthy on the word separate, I'd give Richard Barcellus' book a, a look as well. Do you have a, an opinion on R. Scott Clark's book? On, uh, um, what is it? And I, I'm going blank on the name of that. I don't, I don't, I don't read him. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, it, what is it? Um, oh gosh, recover something about confessionalism. How, man, I am going blank. Um, I know you, I'm sure you've read it. Uh, do you, have you read our stock? I, I, I would say I've read He's a good book. I think no, he didn't read him. <laughs> I'm Googling. I, I would. Now. Oh, recovering yeah, from I, confession. That's right. Yep. Yep. Recovering the Reformed Confession. Yeah, I've read uh, a decent amount of that. And I would say this. I mean, obviously, I'm going to disagree with our with our brother uh, Scott Clark on uh, several things. Uh, you know, whether it be the the parsing out the history of the early particular Baptists or obviously oh, Cato baptism. But I would say that that this is a, a good brother who brings a lot of of helpful things to the table. Um, regarding uh, church history, but also just the importance of confessions. Uh, I've learned a lot. I think his title blog sometimes, and I, you know, I, I disagree with him on, on baptism and on, on, on his blog, he has a lot of information about paedo baptism. We just disagree, but he's a, he's a, I don't, I've never met him personally, but in my brief interactions with him and reading his material, he's a, he's a helpful brother. And uh, I'd hesitate to speak, to give a review of the full book just because I don't have it in front of me. It's been a little while since I've perused it, but um, I do think we are in an age where we need to understand why recovering uh, historic confessions uh, is, is, is helpful. So similarly, Carl Truman's book, The Creedal Imperative, would be a good one to read just, just in that whole similar vein. Awesome. And of course, let me just say, I was joking about Clark. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, before the Presbyterian listeners, we do have start sending me angry tweets. I was just joking. Uh, I will favorite all the, the angry tweets. <laughs> um, Ryan, for those who are interested in connecting with you, is there a way they can connect with you or follow what you're doing? Uh, sure. I'd, I'd say the, the, Maybe the quickest way, since we, we've connected with each other, I think, on Twitter. Um, I'm at Twitter, which is at J. Ryan Davidson. You can just follow me there or send me a Twitter message. And if I need to email or communicate with someone beyond that, I'd be glad to try to do that. Um, and uh, that's probably the best place to start. So at J. Ryan Davidson. Um, and, you know, my desire, brothers, is, um, you know, the, 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 the new book that's coming out, it, it's, uh, it's written really plain. I don't really consider myself all that great of a writer. It's just trying to help people to see that this theological shift is, is worth it. And it, it is literally um, the green pastures that the Lord has laid out for his people. And that when we go for snacks in other fields mm. regularly, we just end up uh, malnourished. Mm. And so that's the goal of this little work. 
um, is just trying to get people in the future to think on these things more deeply. Well, again, thank you so much for joining us, yeah, Ryan. We, we've we've learned a lot. We've been encouraged. Uh, we've been challenged, and I'm and I know our listeners have as well. Uh, I think you have uh, really modeled the goal of the podcast to think deeply and clearly about issues, and we commend our listeners to uh, get a hold of your work when it comes out. I think that's going to be tremendously beneficial for the church. I'm really looking forward to reading it myself and sharing it with those who are unfamiliar with the topic and who are familiar with it. So again, thank you so much for the time. Uh, We're looking forward to following what you do in the future. And we definitely encourage everybody to check you out. Thanks, brothers. It's been a privilege to be on with you. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.